So good to be with you this morning. And if I'm a little extra wired, it's because in a short time, I'm gonna hop on a plane, uh, travel a few thousand miles. Uh, it's gonna take 15 hours, uh, all for the purpose of strengthening a part of Christ Church. And I'm so grateful for you sending me uh, some of the, um, we're gonna make a lot of new best friends and I'll be able to tell you tales in another context, uh, but just some of the sensitivity of going to the place uh, where I'm going, we're gonna save that. I'm gonna invite some of you to, to pray for me before I leave, just at the end of this service. But I'm a little extra wired because I didn't realize a couple things about this trip. I'm not saying I wouldn't have said yes to it, but I didn't realize a couple things about a trip. Uh, um, I knew that one of the, the horrible persecutions I would face and losses was that I wouldn't be able to have ice in my drinks. Isn't that terrible? Uh, no ice in my Diet Pepsi. Um, and, uh, but I didn't know that I was gonna have to uh, pack everything in a carry-on luggage. And uh, so I heard that, and then I'm like, okay, well, I can handle that. I got my carry-on suitcase out. And then uh, found out that, well, the carry-on suitcase has got to be no more than 20 inches uh, by 10 inches by six inches to be admitted. So then, like, I'm screwing. If you know, I mean, this is not my style. I, uh, I do not... I, I can pack fast, but I pack plenty, right? Uh, and there's plenty of, like this is like, you know, three pairs of underwear, a couple pairs of pants, a few socks, like, like that's, that's it. And yeah, no, there's laundry there, don't worry, uh, for the eight days, but that's, that's how, you know, it's, uh, it's gotta take place. Uh, and just a few other details like that. So, uh, so I'm a little extra wired, anticipatory, uh, and so appreciative that within like a couple hours of, of sending this opportunity to our 10 elders, like I heard back from all of them, like that's a kind of mini miracle of just everybody being on the same space and place and saying yes. So, so God is at work. And I'm excited to bring you this message uh, about uh, the means and the end of the means that Christ makes, the, the goal uh, and the end result of what Christ has for his church from Ephesians chapter four. So I'm going to read it to you, verses 7 through 16, but you're going to see that um, this strategy is to fill the universe with Jesus. That's a pretty audacious goal. <laughs> it means to fill every place and space with the reality of Jesus. Um, so you cannot have a more pervasive and expansive goal than this. Uh, and then, not only is that the goal, but he tells us the simplicity of the means is each of us given a gift, and those gifts working together like a body. It's like a, you know, it's not like some people are, are kidneys and some people are uh, lungs and some people are the heart and they're just disconnected. If you had that, you'd have a dissection table. <laughs> but he's saying, I'm gonna join all of these parts together and I'm gonna bring forth the fullness of Christ uh, and I'm going to cause those who are bringing this together to look like my son. That's what this text is about. And so let's, let's read it, and then I want to just break down those two parts of it, um, the goal and the means. So beginning at verse 7. But each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people 
for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. May God give us understanding of this blueprint that he has for the church. Uh, This is uh, the means and the goal of the church. All of this is about filling the universe with Christ. All of this is about creating a church that produces a little Christ. And a few years ago, I heard the the true story of Michael Brady. If you know that name, he was a uh, stuntman. Uh, And this was a little bit before uh, they used computers to simulate these stunts. And his specialty was um, diving out of helicopters onto moving trains. Sound exciting to any of you? (laughs) And he did this well, he did this notably. But on one day, at the age of 37, as he was diving from the helicopter, his foot slipped. And he plunged, uh, not to his immediate death, but, but to a, a process in which, which he, his brain was declared lifeless. And so he had made the provision uh, that he would be an organ donor. And while his brain was not working, his heart was pumping fine. Uh, And that heart was placed in a man named Bill Wall. Bill Wall had been using, he'd been hooked up to the the old artificial heart that was like this huge machine, like you couldn't leave your room. You heard heard of those? He was hooked up to this for 159 days. And Bill Wall was 57. And he got news that this heart had become available that was still beating in the 37-year-old chest of Michael Brady uh, and it was successfully implanted. Weeks and weeks and months of recovery and days later, the recipient of this heart, Bill Wall, actually uh, was able to run marathons with the heart, the 37-year-old heart beating in the body of a 57-year-old man, um, Bill Wall. And one day, the opportunity came um, for the father of Michael Brady to meet the recipient of his son's heart. He wanted to see who who was the life that was living out of the tragedy of his son's sudden death. And when he came, he brought a stethoscope with him. Because he says, I not only want to lay eyes on you, but I actually want the privilege one more time to listen to the beating heart of my son that is now giving life to your body. What a moment. And when I heard that story, I thought of a picture of our God 
The Father who gave his son for us coming to the church and really the, the one basic uh, passion of the heart is to say, of the Father's heart, is to say, do I hear the heartbeat of my son pulsating and, and expressing the life in, in the body that now remains living upon this earth? Is, is my son's heart really there? And, and I believe this this passage creates a test for us. And, and if you're not a believer yet in Jesus Christ, the relevance of this is, this is what real church is about. Real church is about expressing the heart and the life of Jesus Christ on earth. Amen. Uh, there, there is nothing more, nothing less than that. And the question for those of us who are part of the church is, what if the Father put his ear to our heart? Would he hear it beating with the heartbeat of his son? What, what sends our hearts racing? What are we really passionate about? Why are we even part of his church? It needs to be so that we beat with and live out the life of his son. I, I shared with you part of a quote from C.S. Lewis, but I found even a better section this week. And I, I wanna just read this to you. He says this, he says, it's so easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, buildings, missions, holding services. But, but C.S. Lewis said this, he says, the church exists for no other purpose but to draw people to Christ and to make them little Christ. That kind of summarizes it all, right? We exist for no other purpose than to draw people to Christ and then to make them little Christ. And, and Lewis went on to write this. He says, if we are not doing that, all of the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, ouch, even the Bible itself, even the Bible itself, all of the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, and even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. Because God became man for no other purpose, it is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose than to draw people to Christ and to create little Christ. And we miss the whole point of Ephesians 4 unless we see that that is the purpose of it all. He says everything that Christ did, the one who ascended is the one who descended. Why did he do that? He's to fill the whole universe. How does he do that? By creating a church where people engage with him and with one another so that we grow up into the fullness. And, and if you saw that, the full stature of the one person, namely Christ, he describes maturity one way. You know what maturity is? It's being like Jesus. It's thinking like him, it's acting like him, it's, it's carrying out his mission. This is the bullseye for missions for the church. Draw people to Christ, make little Christ. If we are doing anything that does not relate to truly doing this, we don't need to somehow rationalize it, justify it so that it fits. We need to simply abandon it and replace it with that which draws people to Christ and makes little Christ. And so we read, this is the passion of Christ. This is why he came. This is why he's mobilized us. In fact, this should give you hope. This is why he has allowed us breath and life today. This is why he's brought us into fellowship of a church. It may be why you came in here. It's saying that there is so much more for us than simply, um, you know, grunting out in existence or getting through life or managing ourselves and our relationships and ourselves is the hardest person to manage. It's to, be, to draw others to Christ and to be filled with Christ. And let me just say, it's the reverse order first. We've gotta be filled with Christ before we can draw people to Christ. 
And so we read in this text that Christ is the one who is still giving to his church. He laid down his life for his church and then um, conquered death, ascended, and reigns forever. That's incredible. But he's still giving to his church, and it says that in verse 7, he gives grace and gifts to every person. Uh, And then verse 8 is that he rescues us. But look at verse 10. Verse 10 uh, says that he's doing this to fill the universe. And how does he do it? It says verse 11. The gift of Christ is that Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, teachers. Just look at verse 11, because here is a series of of a fourfold gifting that he gives to the church. There are four gifts here, and in uh, in the original, it's more clear that it's absolutely four. You may see five things there, but there's actually four, because it says that he gave some to be the apostles, some to be the apostles, some to be the prophets, some to be the evangelist, and then it says, and some to be, and he creates a hyphenated word, pastor-teachers. There's not two, but there's, there's a cluster, and the, the last one ends uh, with two together. And it says, here is the path, here, here is, are the ingredients, and it's, like, it's, it's like a cake mix. If you leave the eggs or the flour or, or an ingredient out, you don't have the full mechanism to get where you're going, and it says that he, this is what he's doing. <laughs> And so his strategy, he knows what he's doing. Nobody would believe that that taking 12 humble fishermen and uh, and pouring into their lives would produce a a movement that would fill the universe, but this is is Jesus' way. (laughs) And by the way, when it says he gave some to be apostles, yeah, those are the core apostles that are the foundation. Uh, Chapter two, verse 20 says, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And you know, if you build a house, uh, after you've laid the foundation, you can't go back in and stuff new things under the foundation. <laughs> you know, it, that's the structure of it. They needed to have seen Jesus, our Lord, to be like the original capital A apostles. But if you do a little further research in your New Testament, you will find out how many apostles are there in the Bible? There are actually 25. Uh, if you count that Jesus was called an apostle. So, so you can check this out on your own, but James, the half-brother of Jesus and the leader of the Jerusalem church is called an apostle in Galatians. Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts 14, 14. Um, Apollos is called an apostle in 1 Corinthians 4. Timothy and Silvanus, did you know that they were called apostles in 1 Thessalonians 1? Um, there are a couple unnamed apostles who Paul mentions uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, and, and you can go on and on, but, but, but you take Paul as the 13th, plus these nine, you get 22, you add Andronicus, and then you get Junia. There's actually a female apostle in Romans 16, 7. Junia, seldom preached on, but she's an apostle, and, and she is well regarded by the apostles as an apostle. So, so you get 25. Here's, here's the cash value of that. An apostle is Jesus' mechanism to extend Christianity where Christianity has not been extended. Um, And the church cannot go forward without people who are uh, extending Christianity where Christianity, where Christ is not yet known. This is not just an entrepreneurial leader. Uh, This is a pioneering champion of the gospel. It's more than maintaining a local network. It's more than maintaining a local church. I've heard people say, well, I think I have the apostolic gift. And they're like, wow, you must have a frequent flyer travel mode. And it's like, well, no, I'm kind of planted in one place. I'm like, well, if you're planted in one place, you're not an apostle. 
Uh, you're not even an a analogous apostle. You've you got to be on the move. They were on the move. <laughs> uh, it, it was this kind of, of incredible, radical uh, entrepreneurship that was multiplying new congregations where there were no congregations. And I'm not just talking about, you know, like, hey, well, we want to plant, plant the flag of a Presbyterian congregation where there's only Baptists. No offense, Baptists. But that's not apostolic leadership. But I'm saying that if the radical nature of it is to take Christ where he is not known, and that's an apostolic function. And, if, and it has got to be beating in our hearts as a church to say, where is Christ not known, and how can we bring him there? We look at lives, we look at households, we look at, at opportunities, and we say, how can we bring Christ there? Who will plant that flag? Who will take that initiative? Um, who will pray for that? There we say, who will budget for that? Who, who will risk for that? That's, that's apostolic. Planting the flag of Christ's work, that flag is not known. But then he says he gave some to be prophets. And the prophets, if the apostle is the, the entrepreneurial person who always has hope, in other words, the apostle says, Jesus is for everyone. And, and I want to make the case and put the resources there so that person can come to know him. The prophet is the disturber of the status quo. Well, prophets were never very popular because prophets are disturbers, questioners, um, you know, and they, they ruffle what is because they are stirred by the possibility of what could be. That's a prophet. If you aren't one, you have one in your family, and they're not the most popular person in your family. <laughs> they're, they're asking why they're, they're stirring things up. They have a Godward orientation, and they, they are constantly um, reorienting the whole uh, uh, of, of whatever they're part of back to what God wants, God's heart. And they, they often feel things deeply, like God feels things deeply. God is passionate, and his, his passion is, is moving. And so uh, I like what Eugene Peterson says about the prophetic person who, uh, who has some kind of prophetic heartbeat in them. He says this, the task of a prophet is not to smooth things over, but to make things right. That's a prophet. Uh, it's contrary to our culture. Our, we, I'd say Chester County maybe especially has a culture of politeness, right? There's an exterior politeness. The prophet cares more about not smoothing things over, but making things right. He says, the function of religion is not to make people feel good, but to make them good. Love, yes, God loves us, but his love is passionate, and he seeks faithful, committed love in response, and people who will respond to him in that way. That's, that's what the prophet cares about. The prophet is, is questioning the faith that already exists. Does it match up? Is it just a human um, construction that has kind of diluted and dumbed down what Jesus says, or is it really match up uh, with the irrepressible supernatural faith that Jesus calls us to? It's the, the prophet is, is in the common word, you talk about deconstruction. Many people are deconstructing uh, notions of their faith, but they have ripped the Bible out of their hands and they're doing it all by themselves and it's leading them further and further away from the light and, and more and more into darkness. Real deconstruction through the prophet is leading people deeper and deeper into the light and say, are we doing what Jesus said? Amen. Are we approximating who he is? Are, are, we as, uh, are we in some way recognizable or if... If God looked at us, here's one of my fears, if God looked at us uh, and, or maybe sent a first century zealous person 
from the book of Acts to our churches, would they recognize that we're doing the same thing they're doing? And let me just make that very, very pointed. Would they look at me and say, how, you're, you're a pastor. How are you spending your time? What are you doing? What risk are you taking? You're a pastor? That's, that's my imposter syndrome dream, <laughs> right? We all, we all have the imposter syndrome. That's the one I wonder, like, am, am I doing that? And so he says there's apostles and prophets as, as part of the body saying, where can we go that Christ is not named? And then say, are we really matching up with what God calls us to be? How can we align ourselves? And then, then the third one is the evangelist. The evangelist is the person who is, you might say they are, they are making Christianity contagious and they are, they are disseminating the good news of the gospel. Evangel means good news. <laughs> So they're not going around giving people unsolicited advice to make them feel worse than they already do, but they're saying, there is good news for you. Uh, and they are embodying that. Um, and, and they are bringing that in a sense, they're, they're not just a marketing department, but they are, they are an in, infection of the gospel wherever they go. And they are talking, they are fluent in being able to talk to people um, all kinds of people who don't know Jesus and are clinging to other things and they have no problem in carrying on a conversation, asking questions, listening, but also proclaiming the essence of what it means to, to know Jesus. And they enter a room, whether it's riding on a, on a bus or an airplane or picking up a hitchhiker when people used to hitchhike or um, just meeting, they, they do not meet a person who they don't realize that they are one breath and step away from coming to full-blown faith in Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the evangelist. And then he says there's, there's pastor teachers. And here what I find really interesting is that um, he locks those two words together. Because what I, what I really believe is, again, pastoring without teaching is just comforting people in their already preconceived notions and not disturbing them. Teaching without pastoring, though, can be bullying and coercing people with information in a condescending way. But this, the power of teaching and transformational teaching is so great that he says, I want to make sure that it is sheathed uh, in um, the heart of someone who actually cares about the whole life of someone. And, and what I want to just point out to you is that Jesus himself perfectly embodied all four of these. He is the perfect apostle. He went the furthest distance into the most hostile territory and paid the greatest price to be what Hebrews 3 says, the apostle of our faith. Jesus is the prophet. Nobody uh, was able to challenge the status quo in both life or lip like Jesus did. Nobody did it with more passion, more consistency. Uh, as for evangel, Jesus is the one who knew uh, that everyone was this close, and so he could say, um, whether it's the woman caught in adultery, um, he who's without sin, throw the first stone, and um, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. These words just poured out of Jesus. He was always good newsing people. Um, he is the, the ultimate consummate evangelist. And was he the pastor teacher? He was the one who would weep, whose heart would move, whose most frequent emotion in his life when his inner life is described was being moved for people and then words flowing toward them that would nurture and uplift and bring life to them. He, he is the perfect one and what he's done for the church is he's given uh, many examples of this, many embodiments of this so that he's made known. And this is how 
the whole system of the church, the whole organism of, of relationships work because when these parts interact with each other, they bring a dynamic that is irresistibly and clearly full of Jesus. Again, a, a human body with multiple organs that don't interact is a human body uh, that is barely functional, maybe even barely alive. You know, but when these are all interacting and, and where they're in the place that is, is driving ministry, then we find ourselves shaped by Christ. And, and, and so to, to flourish in these ways is, is drawing all these ways, all these things together. And so it says, verse 13, this is how we reach unity in the faith. When all these things are, are functioning, we're reaching unity because we are attuned to Christ. The, the unity the Bible speaks of is not a unity, first of all, that is united within ourselves. There are many churches that have a unity that is, that is a unity that happens among themselves. And that is not the unity the Bible here is talking about. It's, it's a unity that comes, first of all, from this, this vertical unity with Jesus Christ. I love the image A.W. Tozer one time spoke about. He said, if you had 100 pianos, think of them, as, think of them like lined up in a Super Bowl stage. Um, the way that they have unity with each other is not by tuning piano here to piano here to piano here to piano two here. If you know anything about piano tuning, if you do that before long, you will be like a half step off. Uh, it, it will sound like a cacophony of sounds. It will be discordant. But he says the way that you tune 100 pianos so that they are in tune with each other is you tune this one to the standard. And then you take this one and you tune it to the standard. And then you take this one and you tune it to the standard. And, and so this is the vision of the church is that as we are attuned to Jesus Christ, um, we find that we have unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And he says, and, you, and become mature. And here's what maturity is described at. It's not described necessarily as knowing your Bible. That's not bad. It depends on how you use it. It's not described as, as having a position or a role or even knowing your gifts. It simply says that you become mature by being Christ-like, by having the full measure of Jesus Christ. And, and this, is the whole, this is the whole purpose of the church. And there is no other organization or no other body on the earth that has this audacious um, calling to make Christ known in this way or um, this equipping. We're built on the foundation of apostles prior, but also we are lining up between apostolic effort going forward. And this is, this is the aim of what God is doing in the world. You know, our media does not report on the progress of what God is doing in the world in terms of bringing and filling Christ in the earth. But you know, there are more people who know Christ in our age than any other time. There are hundreds of thousands of people uh, on a weekly basis who profess Jesus Christ around the world. There, there is this movement, and why are they doing it? Because this has been enlivened and is at work in our world. I'm headed to a section of South Asia, and I'm, I'm reticent to say all that is going on there, um, but one of the ways that we know that these movements are, are potent and powerful is that I discovered there was a gala fundraiser um, in the state of Texas um, where you could buy baskets and raffles and you could write checks uh, and um, 
you could, um, you know, again, buy the little raffle tickets uh, and, and get the half of the kitty into your account. And you know what the cause was? It was to stamp out Christianity in a certain part of the world. <laughs> That's what they were doing. Uh, and um, at the bottom of this little brochure that I saw, this, this happened last Sunday night <laughs> in Texas. Um, at the bottom of the brochure, it says, um, we are a 501c3 organization, so you can get your tax-exempt receipt for whatever you contribute. Um, and I thought, wow, these folk are taking the cause of Christ seriously in the wrong direction, <laughs> but they're taking it seriously. And they see, what do they see as the threat? The thing they see, the, the organization, the organism that they want to stamp out is the church. Because they know that this was the genius of Christ. Amen. We can be tempted to cling after all kinds of other things, but there is no institution like the church when it's functioning in this way that produces this. The church is the body of Christ, the living organism of Christ when it's functioning well. And, and so it's, it's not a system that can be tweaked with the times. We live in a time because we see the erosion of certain Christian things. People say, like, well, maybe we can get hold of some power center. Maybe we can get hold of institutions. There's a whole movement that says if we get control of, of the media, if we get control of Hollywood, if we get control of civil government, if we get control of these things, then we'll really be cooking with gas. And you know what? All those, all those attempts to get control of those other things, their big problem is they seem to be underwhelmed with Jesus and they seem to have lost confidence in the power of the gospel to change people's hearts. You've got people who are all wrapped up in other means, even, even political means, and our political world is such a mess. But they almost make it sound like poor Jesus, if he really knew what he was thinking about, he wouldn't have founded the messiness of a church. He would have founded a civil government and, a, and he would have centered himself someplace geopolitically uh, so that he could have really, you know, poor Jesus, uh, he needs a savior. He needs a civil government to come after him. Uh, and that is, that is so far away from the impulse of the Bible. Uh, and here's the reality. This is, we are Christ's body. We are Christ's bride. He didn't marry anything else. <laughs> He, he marries us at the cost of his blood. And, and he's calling us again, uh, not to try to make a, a civil Christian America, either of the made-up past or a hoped-for future, but he's calling us to live as a kingdom made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation because he is going to fill this universe with the glory of himself. If we try any other means of making Christians, what we'll do is we'll make fake Christians. <laughs> We'll make Christians who are somehow conforming and fitting into the pressure because they've been influenced by a media that's controlled by him or a government that's controlled by him or even a school that's controlled by him. But ultimately, for people to be truly one to Christ, they've got to be one by the beauty of the truth of Christ. That's the only way they can be one, by the beauty and the truth of Christ. And so as we come to the Lord's table, I want to lay before you that the greatest power to make Christ known is a person who looks like Jesus, who has the tone and the voice and the priorities and the generosity, who has the purity and the boldness and the confidence that there is no greater task 
than the one that we've been given in Jesus Christ, that the one who, who climbed down into our mess also climbed up and now has made himself available to us. And I will tell you, when the church knows this, when the church is unified on this purpose, when the church is unified and the Lord is glorified, then the saints are really edified and, and sinners get evangelized and, and believers become like Christ, sanctified. And when all those things happen, when we're unified and God's glorified and people are being edified and non-believers are being evangelized and, and everyone is being lifted up to a new level, being sanctified, you know who's terrified? <laughs> the evil one. Because that is the one threat to his power is a church that is unleashed as the body that fills all. So as we come to the Lord's table, I'm gonna invite you to spend a moment in a prayer that simply asks God to reveal anything that in your life is distancing you from Christ. Any other thing that has, has come in and we're gonna pray it together and then I'm gonna invite you to confess your faith and we'll come to the table of the Lord. Let's take these words and make them our prayer. Even where you're seated, let's pray. Almighty Father, you call us to walk in the light as you were in the light, but we confess that we often walk in shadows. Forgive us for cluttering our lives with things that do not matter. Forgive us for only offering you small pieces of our life. Forgive us for seeking a life of constant comfort, easy pleasure, and no responsibility. Forgive us for even making church fit into our small ambitions. In all of these things, we are not like your glorious son, Jesus. Awaken us to turn away from all the things that distance us from you. Give us repentance wherever repentance is needed in our lives. Implant in us the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, and the way of Christ, so that we may be the instruments of others encountering you. For his name's sake, amen. And he is so good, he promises that if we confess our need, he is faithful and just, not only to forgive us, but also to cleanse us. And so if you have trusted in Christ in that way, I invite you uh, to confess your faith, because this is what it means really to come to the Lord's table, is to say, one, I confess Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior, God my Father, Christ my Savior, the Holy Spirit is the giver of life to me. And as we've done that, if we then turn from anything inconsistent with that, we're invited to his table. And so if you're able to, I invite you to stand. And we're gonna confess with the church down through the ages. Um, what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? So believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you, what do you believe? And together... I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. If our servers will come forward, during this time I just invite you uh, to make prayers uh, in your own heart as you come, and then to take uh, into your hands and into your very bodies the shed blood and the poured out the poured out blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. We have on, on this side uh, gluten-free uh, cups and bread and this side uh, bread to dip in the cup. And so now I invite you to come as you were led to come and to proceed around uh, and receive uh, the body and blood of Christ. And these are the words of institution. Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread and after giving thanks he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. May we come with joy when we come lightening our loads. May we come recognizing the fresh kiss of forgiveness that comes to us from our Savior. Come as you are led. Oh, mm-hmm. 
invite you those who have received this feast if, it, if you're able to please stand you are the representatives of those that God has poured the resources of his son poured his heart into to live that out where you live work and play and so I want to bless you and then I'm going to be up here for a few I think some elder staff other people everyone invited to join in just a little huddle to pray over me before I take a little trip that I'll be excited to tell you about uh, in the days to come. But you're being sent out, and I love, I'm old school in pronouncing benedictions um, because I believe they place the name and the authority of God on us to take what we've experienced in here, the meeting we've had with God, and say that same God is with us in all the places that we walk in the week. And to reinforce what may grow faint uh, with the pull of the world to say, now, this is um, full and diluted representation of Jesus through us uh, to the people around us in the world we live in. And so uh, lift up your hearts and receive this benediction. Now may the God of peace, who the, through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. To him be the glory forever and ever. And together God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go live it out this week until we return together.
what it says. All things are possible. 